Hey everybody, welcome to Royals FC Show episode 27, or as we're going to call it tonight, the Ryan FC Show episode 1, I guess. Uh, I am your one and only host for this week, Ryan Kelly. Uh, Cindy, Laura, and Virtual Leonard are on assignment, as some in the industry will say. Uh, Virtual had the joy of having his wisdom teeth removed uh, this past Friday and uh, talking for an hour posed a little bit of a challenge for him. Um, Cindy was uh, enjoying some time with her friends in the Boston area and she did get to attend the Tournament of Nations match uh, for the U.S. Women's National Team in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, we'll be going over a, a, that game a little bit, as well as the tournament in general, since there are Royals players involved. So my job here tonight is just to kind of go over what's happening in this sort of off week for the team. Um, of course, the national team players have been away with the U.S. and Australian teams. Uh, the rest of the team has been spending the weekend up at Bear Lake. Uh, just north of Salt Lake in the Logan area up on the border of Utah and Idaho. And, uh, but they're due to get back to uh, the Salt Lake area and do some training leading up to the trip Sunday to play the Houston Dash. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, kind of cover Tournament of Nations. We'll talk about the Women's International Champions Cup that took place since that is relevant to the NWSL as well, uh, with the North Carolina Courage competing in that tournament. Um, talk about some things that have happened in the league uh, this past week. Uh, interesting kind of a thing with the Chicago versus Sky Blue game that went down. Um, I'll also mention um, kind of a little bit about uh, the end of Rail Salt Lake women's season a few weeks ago, and uh, their league, United Women's Soccer, just announced today the postseason awards. Uh, there are some RSL women-related news to share on that regard. Um, so, and then I did uh, I did reach out for questions and thoughts from people, uh, and I will do my best to go through those with whatever time I've got left. So, let's dig into Tournament of Nations. So, this is the second Tournament of Nations that's taken place. Uh, First event last year uh, seemed to go pretty well. Australia was the winner of that tournament. And they were looking to come in and defend their title this year. Uh, they got off to a good start, um, beating Brazil by a 3-1 to one score. Um, I don't believe... I'm going to grab the match report here real quick. Um... I don't believe Katrina Gorey played in that match. Um, let me see if I can uh, find the details there. Oh, no, she did sub into that game. Okay, I was wrong. I, I did not, unfortunately, watch that game. She subbed into and caught the uh, last about half hour of that match. And... Uh, so a good start for the Australians, and uh, then the United States also opened with a win, uh, an Alex Morgan hat trick, and then a goal from Megan Rapino made a 4-2 win over Japan. Uh, 
that was back on grab my calendar. That was Thursday night. And then uh, last night, uh, the teams shifted venues from Kansas City to Connecticut. And Japan played Brazil. That was a 2-1 win for the Brazilian teams. Uh, and then the U.S. faced off against Australia. That was a looking like a one nothing win for Australia after they scored in the 22nd minute. Chloe Lagarzo uh, got a great goal for the Australians. But Lindsay Aran with some stoppage time heroics um, scored off a nice set-piece situation near the end of the game there and uh, was able to salvage the draw for the United States. So, uh, as it stands right now, the Tournament of Nations standings have the U.S. and Australia tied with four points each, Brazil just behind them at three points, and the Japanese, having lost both of their matches, are eliminated from the possibility of winning the tournament this year uh, at zero points. So... Uh, the teams both move, all, uh, all four teams, I should say, move to Toyota Park in Illinois, home of the Chicago Fire and Chicago Red Stars. And it will be Australia facing Japan, United States facing Brazil. So for uh, there's a chance really for all three teams that are still in it to win this tournament. Uh, for the United States, of course, what they'll be hoping for is a win over Brazil and a strong enough uh, goal-scoring performance to make sure they've got all the tiebreakers. So uh, points, then goal difference, and then goals scored um, are the first three tiebreakers. Then head-to-head -head record, um, Australia and the U.S. have a tie. So, I mean, if need be, it could go down to the... Um, as it stands right now, the U.S. is... Uh, even on goal differential, but ahead on goals scored by one. Uh, so if things stayed, if things somehow got tied up at the end of this, the final tiebreaker is FIFA ranking, which would favor the United States at this point. Uh, so best of luck to the women on Thursday in Chicago. Um, of course, we'll be looking hopefully for our uh, our Royals players, Kristen Press, Amy Rodriguez, and Becky Sauerbrunn, excuse me, to get some time in. Um, Sauerbrunn did not start the first game against Japan, but did play against Australia. Um, likewise, Kristen Press uh, started the first game. And, uh, or did she start both games? I really should watch these tournaments more. Um... <laughs> Being somebody who, who is so outspoken uh, about the need to support women's soccer, you'd think I would watch more of these games. Um, but, uh, well, life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, press subbed in to the USA-Australia game. So, um, it would be great to see the, uh, the Royals players, though, get on the field for that important final uh, as, the, as the U.S. national team continues their World Cup preparations. Uh, ahead of qualifying, which um, should be taking place here um, at the end of the NWSL season in September. Of course, the whole league season was kind of uh, shifted to accommodate the fact that they want that done uh, so that the women can 
can be ready to uh, not be worried about their league competitions. And um, yeah, as it stands right now, actually, the uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting the um, the f the whole field for the 2018 Concacaf Women's Championship isn't 100% set. We know Canada, Mexico, and the United States will be there, but the Central American and Caribbean zones are still in the process of doing their qualifying tournaments. Let's do a quick check on where that's at right now. So, um, games coming up here at the end of August uh, in the Central American zone. You've got Costa Rica, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Panama. Uh, they'll be doing those games in uh, in Florida at the IMG Academy in Bradenton. And then for the Caribbean zone, um, we've got uh, group stage matches going on right now. Uh, Cuba has uh, qualified to reach the final round by virtue of their three wins and one draw so far. Um, Jamaica is also advancing to the final round. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago are moving on. And Antigua and Barbuda. And also Bermuda going on to the final round. So, uh, as it stands right now, the final round is due to take place also at the end of August into early September. This will all take place at the National Stadium in Kingston, Jamaica. And so you've got five teams right now who are trying to earn one of three spots in that CONCACAF Women's Championship that takes place. As I said, in September, uh, more specifically, oh, actually October, my fault, uh, October 4th through the 17th, uh, the host cities are uh, Cary, North Carolina, uh, Salem Stadium, the home of the North Carolina Courage, also Edinburgh, Texas, uh, we'll have HEB -H Park, which is home of the USL Club Rio Grande Valley FC. And then Frisco, Te uh, Frisco Texas's Toyota Stadium, home of FC Dallas, is set to host some games. Uh, that will be the site of the semifinal and the final, uh, with the group stages taking place in Texas and North Carolina. So, uh, still some... Still some work to do at the end of August to get the final team's selections set for that. And then we will get into World Cup qualifying. Uh, World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF. We'll see the top two teams out of the two groups uh, have a chance to go on to the knockout round. And then the qualifying team, um, the two teams who... Um, who uh, play in the final, and then the winner of the third place playoff match will be qualified to the 2019 World Cup in France. Uh, the loser of that third place playoff game enters a playoff with a team from South America to see if they can earn a spot into that World Cup. So, uh, the expectation would, of course, be for the United States to um, if not win the CONCACAF tournament, certainly they will be in one of those three 
uh, guaranteed spots. Um, wouldn't want to see it come down to uh, having to win that third place game or uh, or worse, go to that playoff. Um, the USA is usually expected to be uh, the top team out of CONCACAF, so that will be what we're looking forward to this offseason. Uh, of course, there's always the fun and excitement that U.S. women's national team fans uh, experience of, uh, you know, what exactly will Jill Ellis's rosters be for important games like this. Um, sometimes she makes some head-scratchers decision-wise. But we will, uh, you know, looking back on it, um, and, and and we can say it was the players who, who pushed through it, but uh, she is still a World Cup winning manager uh, with the U.S. back in 2015, so we will hope for the same success coming up. Okay, so uh, switching gears a little bit, um, I'm going to jump over and talk about the, uh, the Real Salt Lake women 2018 season in United Women's Soccer. I, I did a preview episode of that, or a kind of a, a rundown episode for that earlier this year. Um, so Real Salt Lake finished in fourth place in the West Conference this year. Um, they had a final record, four wins, five losses, and one draw, uh, with a plus one goal differential to finish things out. They did finish 10 points back of the conference champion Calgary Foothills. Um, not a terrible season, um, but um, you know certainly the team works hard on uh, preparing more and having a, having a, a better performance than that. Um, that said, uh, I will say that... Um, I think that I think the the conference improved quite a bit, especially the, the Calgary team uh, did a fantastic job of uh, you know every year they they've really come out to impress and um, you know their their first season was was no slouch of a season uh, they they definitely were committed to um, you know their their the the foothills uh, development program. Uh, has has had a lot of success making uh, uh, training great players, both on the men's and women's side. Um, it's also going to be interesting to see how they work with the formation of the uh, the Calgary team that's in the new Canadian Premier League that will be starting next year. Uh, certainly, some Foothills players will be looking to get on and uh, join that professional men's side, but the the women's team also has a strong history of being a, one of the great clubs up in up in Canada and uh they really came out this year um looking to be a, a very solid team um they did beat RSL women both times that they played this year uh 3 to nothing scoreline here in Utah as well as a 2 to 1 win up in Calgary for the Foothills so um uh, hats off to uh, to Troy Flannery and all his crew up there in Calgary. Um, I mentioned earlier there were postseason awards for United Women's Soccer handed out. Uh, Troy was named the Western Conference Coach of the Year, and it was absolutely deserved for taking them to first place. Um, in local news, uh, in that regard, though, uh, 
U of U soccer senior Haley North was named the Western Conference Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, she had a fantastic season. I'm going to grab her stats here really quick. Um, sorry, taking just a minute to come up there. Uh, scored six goals, had three assists on the season in her nine games played, which is really impressive. Uh, she's always a great offensive threat, works hard up top as a forward, and uh, does a lot to create dangerous chances for the team. Um, and then also uh, Colette Smith was named to the uh, second uh, 11 for the Western Conference. Uh, her three goals and one assist in the six games she played were um, another one of the bright spots on the offense, and she can always be counted on to use her speed and her great shooting ability to create chances for the team. Um, and Colette also recently had the opportunity to be uh, a Utah Royal, at least for one game, uh, due to injury and international call-ups in the last match against the North Carolina Courage at Rio Tinto Stadium, both uh, Colette and her former RSL women teammate, Becca Ritchie, who is a local legend, uh, certainly in my opinion, uh, as, as a uh, fantastic goalkeeper. Uh, they both got the opportunity to, uh, I mean, neither of them saw any time in the game, unfortunately, but, uh, man, they had uniforms and uh, had their names on them. Uh, that was really great to see. So, uh, congratulations to our award winners for the 2018 UWS season. Uh, head coach Mark Davis, uh, assistant coach Sarah Kelly, um, Captain Annie Hawkins, and uh, all the players on the team. They do a really great job. Uh, you know, the unfortunate thing I think about a club like uh, RSL Women is, um, you know, the uh, the other team that was really really did well was the LA Galaxy uh, Orange County team that was new to the league this year. And, um, you know, clubs like that one and uh, the, the, the Foothills Club, um, the Santa Clarita Blue Heat, uh, Colorado Pride, these are all, you know, pretty established club teams and they, they pull from high school and college which is what RSL Women does as well, but um, you know those are certainly more of, of kind of a development academy type structure than what RSL Women is, which is a just a, a team that gives an opportunity for players who are in their off season to stay sharp and get some game experience. Um, so RSL does deal a lot with uh, players having obligations in life outside of soccer that they have to take care of from time to time. Sometimes that falls on a game day, and you know there were times when RSL Women was missing several of their their best players, and and just didn't have the chance to compete as well as they might if they were at full strength. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see going forward. Um, you know, I've heard some talk that uh, Real Salt Lake is interested in having them change their name. Uh, of course, you know, there's going to be confusion now with RSL women and Utah Royals existing in the same market. People will want to be clear on which team is which. Um, it's also kind of, well, at least it's it's yet unknown to me 
um, what sort of relationship these two teams may have in the future. Uh, I've heard that um, that the team may look to go uh, with the WPSL for their reserve squad when they when they get that up and running. Um, they may continue the relationship with this team and United Women's Soccer, which I would certainly like to see, uh, having worked with them for the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, that stuff's all being worked out still, but um, I think there's a good opportunity to kind of continue on the legacy of what RSL Women has built over the last uh, six seasons under the RSL family banner and be a place where uh, any potential, uh, you know, there's there's the uh, academy set up down in Arizona now that has uh, girls teams that, uh, and they promote very heavily the idea that if you, if you play for them, there's the chance to uh, move up and become a Utah Royal uh, eventually someday. Uh, there's also still the, um, the kind of, uh, not 100% clear on what the purpose of the facility is going to be, but but RSL did enter into the agreement with uh, Utah Valley University to build a new facility down in the vineyard area by uh, Orem, uh, just on the west side of I-15 from UVU's campus. I know the university is planning on transferring most of their sports facilities over there from where they are now, kind of packed in around their, their athletic center. Uh, their basketball arena, but um, whether that becomes a full-fledged Royals Academy, similar to what we see in Harriman for the men's side, or or exactly what shape that takes, I think that's just kind of, uh, well, it, it may be yet to be determined. It may just not be released to the public yet, um, but we'll certainly look forward to finding out more about that as time goes on. Um, so that was... Uh, just kind of a quick, or maybe not so quick, rundown of the RSL women's season. But, um, you know, it was a great year, and I was I was happy to be a part of it again, uh, watching the games, getting to help them with some of their match recaps and uh, communications with the league. Uh, all right, uh, so other um, interesting soccer news was the um, the first time the International Champions Cup that has taken place uh, for a couple of years now uh, typically features a lot of the big European clubs uh, competing in Asia and uh, America in, in just kind of a, a you know preseason warm-up for a lot of those clubs. Uh, this year, for the first time, added a women's tournament. And uh, uh, nearly uh, a dozen teams... Uh, regular participators on the men's side uh, were interested in sending their women's team. Ultimately, they only chose four uh, just to try uh, try it out, see how it works this year before looking to expand next year. Um, so the four teams that competed this year were uh, Manchester City's women's team, uh, Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain from France, and the North Carolina Courage from the NWSL. And uh, in the, uh, it was just kind of a straight tournament setup where they paired two of the teams up in a semifinal, and then the the winners of that game played each other for the championship. And in the in the opening games down in Miami, the uh, let's see, it was Leon 
three to zero over Manchester City. And then uh, for the North Carolina Courage in their game against Paris Saint Germain, there was uh, uh, goals by Jessica McDonald and uh, Darian Jenkins, who's a, a local Utah product, uh, giving them a two to one win over PSG, which is pretty impressive. It was and it was a, a Kaylee Kurt's own goal. Uh, on the courage side that led to Paris scoring. So, uh, you know, I think even even when you take in mind that the uh, the frame of reference where this is preseason for the European clubs, uh, you know, we're very aware here of how good the courage are. Um, their record and their and their scoring ability speaks for itself. And, and that's also a, a courage team that is missing their international players right now due to Tournament of Nations. So for them to go up against a club like PSG, who has um, who, who does very well in the French Women's Soccer League, that's an impressive victory. And then going to the final against Lyon, uh, that was a goal by women's team legend Heather O'Reilly in the 10th minute, and then they held on to get the 1-0 win and be declared the inaugural International Champions Cup champions. So, uh, congratulations, of course, got to Paul Riley and his team, all the players that were involved in uh, a pretty, pretty significant win, I would say. Um, you know, uh, a tournament like that, um, especially to those clubs in Europe, you know, they they may have. I I don't know what their perceptions are like. Uh, of American soccer. Of course, the women's game is vastly different from the men in that regard. But, um, you know, to come over here to, to compete against one of our teams um, and and to have uh, the NWSL club come away with the win of that tournament, um, that speaks a lot about the fact that our, our club soccer is, is just as strong as our international game. So uh, that was that was really good to see. I mean, I I kind of um, had mixed feelings about what I what I thought was going to happen there, um, but it's it's good to see the courage win those two games and be the champions. Um, so switching over to NWSL uh, related news, um, the majority of the teams are off for the international break. There was. One game scheduled between the Chicago Red Stars and Sky Blue FC, and that game was postponed. Um, that news kind of made the rounds on uh, through the women's soccer community on Twitter. Uh, Sky Blue FC's flight to Chicago was canceled, and for whatever reason, there's a lot of speculation out there about that it could be due to the ownership not wanting to to pay for you know, finding an alternative flight. On short notice like that or or whatever the case may be but um, they were unable to make it to Chicago uh, due to their flight being canceled on them and so that game has had to be rescheduled for the end of the season they'll make that trip on September 4th they kind of have to jam a midweek game in now after um, playing uh, at Washington Spirit the week before uh, and then they are home against Orlando Pride the following Saturday. So some unexpected schedule shuffling will make the end of the season a little bit interesting for excuse me for Sky Blue FC. 
who is, uh, as we all are kind of aware, um, going through some interesting situations with their with their ownership and what their facilities are like, um, as well as still winless in 2018. And, uh, you know, um, we're going to do uh, on, on a different episode. Um, Virtual has, has written down some thoughts and collected some different information. Uh, we want to go in a, a little bit more in depth on kind of what's going on there and what we would hope will happen to, um, to improve things for those players and for that market in the future. Uh, I would hate to see, as I'm sure many women's soccer fans would, uh, hate to see uh, Sky Blue become another team that, that doesn't make it. You know, we've already lost Kansas City and Boston, and now Sky Blue is experiencing trouble. And, uh, you know, that's just, um, you know, when you've got Portland who's doing well, when you've got Utah who's off to a good start, uh, when you've got uh, North Carolina, which, I mean, they were uh, league champions when they were still in New York. They moved to North Carolina, and they've just become even more successful now in their second season there. Um, all the talk is that you know North Carolina is going to be uh, moving their USL club to be in MLS, uh, the, the the research triangle area there in in North Carolina is becoming kind of a soccer hotbed. So uh, you know the Courage are in a strong position, have good ownership. Um, you know the the NWSL is kind of at a at a tipping point. It would seem. You know, there's, um, y- you know, it's the unprecedented sixth season, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to uh, improve the working conditions. Um, y- you know, the salaries, the facilities, the the roster size. The, the competition needs to grow. We need more teams. You know, we need, um, we need that game to grow. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope we can get America to embrace soccer, women's soccer on a club level here. Um, lately we've had, you know, even more frustrating incidents of, of the difference in support between the national team and, and then the club teams, you know, uh, earlier when the national team came here to to Salt Lake and played, uh, big crowd, uh, you know, uh, far above what the what the Royals' average is. Um, certainly not counting that that initial home game, the the home opener, but you know, uh, it happened again in Kansas City. Uh, Children's Mercy Park was sold out for this tournament of nations match. And then, you know, FC Kansas city was struggling to get a couple thousand to go. And granted that's, you know, a different stadium and so forth. But, you know, if, if the passion is there for the national team, uh, you know, watching these clubs in NWSL, especially with how few teams there are, it's watching the national team play uh, against each other in, in kind of a, you know, in, in just a different setting and different sets of uniforms, you know, that's, that's part of the draw for me. I'm, I'm happy we have a team. And as a supporter of RSL women for a number of years, I, I was beyond thrilled to get an NWSL franchise here in Utah, but also as a fan of the women's national team, 
far outside of the the players that we've been able to attract to Utah. You know, getting Kelly O'Hara to want to leave a club she loved at Sky Blue, uh, but you know she loves Utah. She was excited about the opportunity and wanted to be a part of this. Kristen Press being willing to come back from from Sweden and play here, and and then you know later the the comments. Um, actually, I never heard if this was a, a direct quote from her. Oh, we heard this from Trey Fitzgerald when we had him on the show. You know that that she didn't want to miss that game against North Carolina to to go into U.S. national team camp. And obviously, she went, but you know what we're what we've been able to build so far just in one season has been pretty special. Um, and and that's the kind of stuff that um, well, but far sorry finish my point far beyond just being um far beyond just being having our own national team players here on the royals every week i get to see you know i've seen alex morgan play soccer i've seen megan rapino play soccer i've seen heather o'reilly i've seen all these great players from the from the u.s national team from the um i'm excited to see sam kerr come back uh, with with chicago at the end of the season, uh, I, there's a real opportunity to watch soccer at the highest level. You know, outside of maybe some of the some of the the French and the and the German players, you know, we have a, a real collection in this league of top talent from around the world. Um, I've said before uh, on this show and, and elsewhere that watching the NWSL would be the equivalent of having, you know, if you wanted to see a similar uh, collection of top world talent in the men's game, you would have to live in England or or Germany or Spain uh, or, or have some kind of a super league where, where, the, where the best of those clubs all play together to, to find this kind of talent. Uh, we have such a wonderful opportunity to witness the best of the best play in person and i just always feel like it's it's a vastly unrecognized sport uh, the women's soccer game so um you know we can't we can't go drag people into the stadium though um you know the best thing as we've discussed with with Trey and as we kind of talked about with with Carla Haslam last week uh, is we just have to keep doing everything we can um that's that's the purpose of you know shows like this one and the uh, RSL soapbox site the the writing that we do on there uh, you know and anything that really supports soccer and, and especially the women's game we just have to share our love and our passion for this for this game uh, as much as we can and it will it will attract people people will start to see the same things we see um we just have to do what we can do to get the word out there and help people recognize what it is they're missing so excuse me um So that's um, that's kind of all I have on uh, league news. So um, let me just kind of wrap things up here by going through some questions, responses I got, for feedback on Twitter tonight. Um, 
RJ Allen, who I have a lot of fun uh, going back and forth with on Twitter, uh, would like to hear a 20-minute conversation on why Rachel Corsi should win Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know that I can fill 20 minutes with that, but I um, but I can certainly make a case for that. Uh, you know, Rachel's been uh, Save of the Week nah, winner last two weeks in uh, the NWSL for her fantastic recovery work and clearances uh, that, that saved what were sure certain goals uh, in both cases. And that's, to me personally, when I, um, you know, whatever league it is, if there's ever a, a, a Twitter poll, Facebook poll, whatever, where it's watch this video and then you vote on who's going to be save of the week, um, defenders making saves on the goal line is, is a surefire vote from me uh, every time, you know. Goalkeepers' jobs are to save goals, uh, and spectacular saves are are a wonderful thing to watch. But uh, you know, a defender who's got to figure out a way to get their head or their hands, or maybe their body, in front of a ball in a way that doesn't result in a penalty being called, um, often sprinting back, you know, twenty, thirty, forty yards from from downfield to to intercept a pass or a, or a, a shot. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love watching defenders or, or, or any field player really um, put that kind of effort to keep a, to keep another team from scoring. Um, being a team sport, you know, when, when everybody's invested like that in getting in the way of the ball and making sure that your team has every chance to win. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, Rachel has been uh, a standout for the Royals this year, for sure. And uh, I I will admittedly say that I don't have enough of an overview of the whole league. Um, I just don't have the time right now to watch every match and, and see, you know, who else is excelling defensively. I mean, certainly you can make a case for anybody on the back line in North Carolina uh, their goals against um, is, I believe, the lowest in the league. Let me check that really quick. 14 goals against. Yeah, they are They are allowing uh, just one less than Seattle right now. Seattle's defense is fantastic. Um, you know, the Royals have only allowed 18, which is one of just three teams who have allowed less than 20, uh, but it's third best in the league. And, um, you know, a lot of that is, uh, you know, I always feel like a, a good defense. Uh, and maybe it's just from the experience I've had from watching, uh, you know, the days of Alave and Borchers with RSL um, or, you know, when it's watching, um, you know, Jerome Boateng and, uh, and David Alaba and, those players in, in on Bayern Munich, you know, a, a good defense and especially center backs. You know, when you have center backs and a goalkeeper, a defensive midfielder right down the center of the field who force the play wide and force offenses to, to find a way through them, uh, you know, that's that's a great part of any defense. And, and Rachel has certainly stepped in next to Becky Sauerbrunn and, and filled in, um, you know, when you've got two, 
uh, national team captains for, for the USA and Scotland uh, on on your back line, you're going to have a great defense. And uh, I would certainly give Rachel a lot of the credit for uh, for how strongly uh, she's you know she's she's a real imposing presence for attacking players to to look at and say how are we going to beat her. Um, you know, she was she was definitely an unknown to me in the in the greater women's soccer world, but uh, from day one, I've had zero question that she should be uh, starting as the center back, and um, so uh, absolutely, um, I think she's definitely a candidate for defensive player of the year, if not uh, somebody who should win that award. Um, and that definitely wasn't twenty minutes, but that's. That's what I've got for right now. Um, maybe we can, when I get my co-hosts back, we can dive into that one a little bit more and see what everybody's take on that one is as a collective group. Um, <laughs> speaking of my co-hosts, um, Vircho uh, wants to know, why is Ryan the best co-host? I'm not even going to try and claim that. I, you know, We all do a great job. Um, for people who uh, are pretty new to this, um, you know, and we, we had a lot to learn, um, both from the technical side and then from just, a, you know, how do you do a podcast? Uh, this is something I had never done before. Um, and it took us time to go from being, uh, people who knew each other through, uh, our writing and through, uh, you know, our chat room for RSL Soapbox to saying, yeah, let's all let's all grab headsets and connect through Skype and record ourselves talking about soccer for an hour every, every week. Um, it's been a lot of fun though. Um, you know, these are, these are great people I get to work with. Uh, people who are passionate about the game, share my love for soccer and, and, and women's soccer uh, to be specific. Um, I, I couldn't be happier with, uh, the relationship that we've formed. And I, you know, it's, Every week, I think we get better. So uh, it's not just me. Uh, I, w I won't call myself the best co-host. Co we all do a, a wonderful job, and um, I'm just excited to keep it going. So uh, hopefully Virtual gets better soon, and, and Cindy, you'll be back from having fun, uh, being the traveling soccer photographer that she is. Um, don't forget, we're going to get her pictures up on RSL Soapbox and have a nice little gallery of her work. Uh, documenting the national team in action uh let's see uh russell grizz has the fantastic twitter handle of Grizzfather. uh <laughs> fantastic guy um wants to know how is kelly o'hara's recovery coming what is her respect expected return timeline um that keeps getting pushed back um hopefully uh you know she's she's on her way back to being able to play. Uh, we do see pictures and video of her involved in training. She is active. She's out on the field. She's, she's putting in some work. Um, looked like she was enjoying herself up at Bear Lake with the team over the weekend. Um, boy, and that is one big difference, I will say, between men's and women's soccer players, too, in this country. Um, you know, the men can't go skiing, can't go snowboarding, can't do anything dangerous it's in their contracts you know they, they can't sustain an injury 
even during the off season. They have to be so careful with themselves. Uh, they're a massive investment to their teams. Um, the women are out, you know, wakeboarding and uh, having a good time. Uh, and 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 I, I, you know, I don't mind either way, honestly. I mean, I do get that little that little flutter of nervousness, thinking, "Oh, please, please don't get hurt doing this." We we need you to play, but um, uh, you know, it's it's cool to see the team get out there and and have some fun like that, and you know, they they get to rest and relax, and then and then get focused and get back to playing. Um, certainly won't be easy for them this weekend. I'm going to throw in just a, a kind of a quick um, preview of the the match coming up this weekend. Uh, Houston Dash are in sixth place in the league, one spot ahead of the Royals and one point ahead of the Royals. So um, a team with just about the same record as as we have, um, with a little bit worse of goal differential. Um, uh, Kalia Ojai has been playing really well for them lately, scoring goals uh, as their team captain. Um, it's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. It's going to be a tough game. Um, it's going to be, you know, three days removed from Tournament of Nations. How fit are Sauerbrunn and Press and, and Rodriguez to come in and play in a game like that? Um, we're going to need, uh, you know, all hands on deck. Everybody who, who can be in the 18, um, they've just got to be super sharp and focused and do their best to get the maximum possible result out of that. A, a win would be great. Uh, a draw would be acceptable. Um, but as the as the season draws to a close here, they're running out of opportunities to get, uh, you know, sit with six games left, and they are seven points out of a playoff spot right now. So there's some work to do, and, and Houston's going to be the first big test of the final run of the season. You know, they've, they've got games left against uh, Washington, even though it's an away game, they've got a, another visit to sky blue, uh, both good chances for a win. And they're playing the red stars at home uh, chance for revenge from the home opener. Um, but it, 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 that's a different team now with Julie Ertz back from injury with Sam Kerr available to play. Um, but the Royals need to start picking up points if they want to have a a playoff appearance in their first season. So we will see um, how that goes. And that ties into the next bit of feedback that we got. Joe, Joe Malbica um, said that with six games left in the season and, and currently in seventh place, do the Royals make the playoffs? What would you all like to see out of the team in these last games? Um, I think they can. I absolutely think they can. Uh, they they don't have to play Portland again. They don't have to play Orlando again. Um, they don't have to play North Carolina again. Um, so they they are robbed of the chance of being able to take points off of the teams ahead of them in the standings. Um, so the only thing they can do at this point is maximize those opportunities to win. Uh, against the teams that they do have a chance to play. And every game just becomes super important, um, especially like when you look at Washington uh, is on a five-game losing streak right now. 
Sky Blue had a draw and then four losses in a row. Um, you know, the Dash have bounced back and forth between wins and losses. Uh, the Red Stars are, are four and one uh, with uh, four wins, and one loss in their last five. So um, they definitely need to turn you know, the Royals last five is a win and then three losses and then the, the draw last weekend against North Carolina. So they've got to step it up, though. Um, they've got to dig in and, and really find that that extra bit of effort to, you know, if they want to make the playoffs, uh, they've got to maximize their point total. Um, that's just kind of the only way to say it. Um, the uh, Athlete Burner account that is at Rulers Philly, uh, at said, if we don't make the playoffs this year, would you still count this as a successful inaugural season? I think I, think I would. Um, you know, coming into the season, we had a lot of optimism. The, the roster looked great. Uh, we were all excited. Um, the, the season started fantastically with, you know, scoring three minutes in, and everything was looking really good at the beginning of the year. Um, and then the team hit, I, I would say, just what you would call the the struggle of starting. Uh, you know, as much of the roster came over from Kansas City, it was still a new team um, in a new environment. Uh, even though everything has has gone so well for them in terms of you know what what their work environment is like and how happy the players are here, um, they're they're adapting to a new coach. They're they're trying out different roster variations. They've dealt with injury. They're they're learning a new strategy, um, figuring out their identity, uh, and trying to understand. I mean, you know, it was we, you know several weeks into the season before they got their first win and and got a chance to you know do the the, the celebration with Gunny at the riot after the game that started to kind of build that sense of this is what the players want this want this team to be this is what their identity is uh so you know as 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 foresight turns into hindsight near the end of the season here i look back on it and say and no offense to to you know sky blue or 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 washington or, or any other team but i i feel good about the fact that this team didn't come out and just fall flat and, and drop to the bottom of the table. I, I certainly saw a lot of people, you know, at the beginning of the year. You, what do you think of Utah? Oh, they're gonna they're gonna be terrible. They're, you know, there's no way they'll be able to compete with the established teams in this league. Um, you know, they've they've found ways to win uh, games that they should win. They've found ways to. I mean, their record against North Carolina, a win and two draws. It's it's the best one in the league. That's. That says a lot about what the team is capable of. Um, we've certainly seen the, the, the potential. Um, but, you know, that's just... Uh, I think there was just some growing pains for a new season. And um, so even if the playoffs don't happen this year, I, I, I've i said before that I... Um, both about the Royals and RSL, like anywhere, anytime playoffs are involved, like if you're looking at a season and you see a team who maybe has a chance to make the playoffs, but then if you step back and look at it, you think, but if they get into the playoffs, how far are they going to go? 
Um, and the NWSL playoffs being what they are, where, you know, you're four teams. Um, and at this point, you know, you're looking at North Carolina in first place. If the Royals make it up to fourth place and make the playoffs by the end of the season, uh, that'll be a first round visit to North Carolina, which they've shown they can win. But can they overcome that, you know, at the end of a season against a, a really confident team who is now a, you know, a champion in an international tournament? And um, what's their confidence level going to be like? How, how tired are you going to be? Are people thinking ahead to the end? Of, you know, there's just so many variables that go into that. Um, but they certainly could win that game and make the final. Then you've got to travel to Portland. You might be playing the Thorns on their home field with their home crowd. You might be playing Orlando or Chicago or, or Seattle, uh, which it, Seattle might be the one case where you get the Providence Park, uh, you know, the Portland locals behind you because they, they would cheer for, for the Royals, I think, even over the rain. Um, but don't quote me on that. I, I could be completely wrong. Um, never know with Portland fans and how they feel about Salt Lake teams. Uh, but, yeah, I you know, if, if it means going into the playoffs and then falling flat there, maybe it's not the best thing. Maybe... You know, you, you take a good season, you, you feel like there's room for improvement, you take the off season, you make whatever roster changes that, uh, that Laura Harvey and her staff feel are necessary, and you come back next year and, and work your way up into being a, you know, a top four team in this league. You see what expansion does to the, to the league, if there are teams joining next year, or, or what's going on, you know, um, Boy, and there are a lot of changes coming. I mean, depending on what what expansion brings, and then you know where do the players that used to be Boston Breakers go in this league when the rosters aren't? Uh, you know, will will the exemption continue for next year, or or do players like Katie Stengel and and uh, Abby Smith and you know we've we've traded Brooke Elby, but uh, you know where do they go? Um, what happens when you're when you're dealing with fewer roster spots than you were allowed due to this unique situation this year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how the future plays out. Um, all right. And last question was from Marcus, uh, who's also known as the court exile. Uh, he says, who is that guy in section five with the flags and two poles? He seems cool. Um, honestly though, uh, would fans wave flags in all the sections if they were there to wave? Say there were four flags per section randomly placed. Would you wave them before the game, during halftime, and at the end of the game, and then leave it to be picked up by supporters groups? Um, that's an interesting thought. Uh, I like it. Um, that would be fun to see. It would it would change the atmosphere for sure. Um, I think on the east side of the stadium, where the crowd is a bit more filled in, than it is on the west and and to a degree the north side um you know the 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 court is fantastic down in the front of that section but a lot of the a lot of the upper seats aren't always filled in um but you know with the crowd being the way it is right now um it wouldn't hurt to try it but i don't know that everybody's going to be for it i could be wrong um if you're a royals fan and you go to games 
Um, drop us some feedback on that, and we'll pass the word along. If, if that's something you would be interested in, and the supporters groups are willing to take the time and effort to go station some flags around the stadium and then pick them up at the end of the night. Um, you know, when, when Vircho gave his feedback um, through our chat on this, he, he said, boy, I, I can't imagine um, the effort that'll take and, and, and maybe that'll end up being a bigger headache than you know, tracking down the flags every night, hoping that, that you get them all back and such. Um, that are in good condition, but um, if that's something that the court wants to do, um, and, and we can, you know, maybe that becomes something that's part of the the atmosphere and the identity of of being at a Royals game. It would certainly be cool to try. So, um, if if you're a fan and you'd love to see something like that, uh, let us know, and we will see if that can become a reality. Um, well. I kind of surprised myself. I didn't think I had a full show worth of stuff that I could talk about by myself. Um, certainly miss, though, having my co-hosts with me. Can't wait to bring them back next week and and have the Royals FC show restored to its full power. But I just want to thank everybody again who listens to us week in and week out. We appreciate all the support. Um, all the feedback that we get from people on on what we're doing right, what we can do better, uh, we always welcome that. And uh, you know, this show is all about the fans. And uh, you know, we do this not just for ourselves, but to to share the experience with everybody, and and be a part of the RSL family, the Royals FC family. So thank you to everybody who who listens. Um, all the players and, and front office staff that have been guests on our show and, and that are willing to do so in the future. Uh, we love connecting with everybody like that and, uh, and just help supporting, helping to support the game in any way we can. This has been Royals FC show episode 27. Thanks for listening.